Paper Keg, episode 236. He's the host that, in the middle of the night, all I want to do is hold him tight. He is daily, daily. Never felt like this before. Paper Keg Show. Here we are, guys. Uh, second week in a row. Our third slash first co-host, Slim, it has not been in the country. We apologize for that. He is deep, deep in the uh, the heart of France right now. He's deep in the heart of love, I think, is more like it. All I see are those delightful Instagram posts where husband and wife just rediscover each other uh, in you know what some people would call the city of love, the city of lights, mm-hmm. maybe, mayhaps. Mm-hmm. Just uh, amazing for them. Amazing. Uh, the city of my heart is, of course, my co-host joining me today. Jonesy loves beer on the uh, Twitter and uh, you know around the world. If you if you bring up Jonesy loves beer over in France, they would probably know something, Jonesy, about you. I mean, I, I'm pretty you know pretty much people consider that I ride dolo from state to state. If you catch my drift, uh, I'm happy to be so renowned. And uh, I'm happy that my weekly newsletter did not uh, immediately result in somebody resigning from Patreon uh, 20 to 30 minutes after my post. So I'm riding on cloud 10. That's right. Speaking of that, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash paper keg. We have a little uh, support page up if you guys were ever inclined to support the show. Uh, Maybe not so much after reading one of Jonesy's uh, newsletters. Come Friday, Friday, every Friday, Jonesy does a newsletter for the $10 tier. And I, I myself enjoy greatly logging in and reading them. So, Jonesy, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I have heard that they are super utilized as toilet paper. Right. So if you need something soft on your tush, uh, go ahead and print one of my newsletters and flush away to your heart's content. The uh, of course, as I mentioned, it's only Jonesy and I this week. Uh, Slim in France, only servicing on the internet to dime me out. I thought you were about to say only servicing nimidity. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. So this week we went ahead uh, a a a beautiful series of events, all completely lined up for us. Uh, of course, you guys probably know Jonesy and I. Uh, big fans of Dungeons and Dragons. Big fans. and Huge fan. We played one session in the last five years. It, it was, was amazing. amazing. It was about five and a half hours of, of a great, great time. And uh, I remember that day, I ran upstairs to get the pizza from the pizza guy. He looked at my shirt, because of course I was wearing a and d shirt that day. He said, whoa, D&D, I love that. And I said, I'm playing right now, man. Made him green with envy. I We've probably played more in the past five years than maybe he has. Of course, he's probably he's probably I, playing right now. We, I mean, I think you might have single handedly inspired him to go get a, a group. Maybe he's a GM in that Chris Perkins, uh, you know, d- GMs of the country group that uh, that get together and do those live play tests. Oh my gosh, man! I just name dropped Chris Perkins. Like anyone listening knows who the f I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, there's a segment if you do if you did a Venn diagram of comic readers. Paper keg listeners and D and D players and fans of D and D who know Chris Perkins is. I'm sure there's like a little something in the center there. Me and you, 
Yeah, pretty much that's yeah. it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the stars aligned this week. We got our Kickstarter rewards for Scott Kurtz's and Steve Hamaker's Table Titans, which um, was is a perfect opportunity for us to uh, talk about it on the show. It is a comic. It's a beautiful hardcover. And uh, trying to convince Slim that this was a book uh, uh, that was his idea would probably be the most impossible task that I could think of. So it's better if he's just not on the show and we do it without him. In fact, I'm sure if he would have suggested it, he would have been like, yeah, but I am traveling again later in the year, so maybe you just drop the book into that slot. Right, yeah. He would have, he would, if I could, you can't see me, but there is a, a face that Slim makes when like he's trying to push something off that he doesn't want to do, where he like turns his head to the left, closes his eyes, <laughs> just cracks his mouth a little bit, and like does like a fake nod. He just yeah, like he scrunches up and like he might like take his yeah. hat off and like scratch the top very top of his head. He might scratch or just like cock it so slightly to the left as to just try to throw your chi energy off and you know dominate you with his yeah. chi with this all shucks moment, right. A lot of chi manipulation going right, on. yeah, but it it works even through the internet. It's you know he'll make it, but he'll like put an inflection on his words, like I'm going to circle back around to this when I have time, kind of thing. But he really just he will just it completely ignore it and forget that you even said anything. Fingers spread wide, like maybe a pterodactyl's fingers would be on it in its wing socket. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, how fortuitous of us, Jonesy and I, to talk about. Uh, Table Titans, which was originally started as a webcomic, was spun off from Scott Kurtz's uh, other comic, uh, PvP, Player versus Player. And it was like knowing completely zero behind the scenes about it. Uh, there were, Scott Kurtz had this product or an idea so happened to coincide with uh, Dungeon and Dragons fifth edition introduction and it was like the perfect 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 time to launch this new title table titans and like jonesy i mean you might as well get into the synopsis because i just want to start spitting my love for the idea of the book okay well you know suspend your pleasure uh for a minute uh so Anybody who is not a D&D fan, I'll, I'll try to synopsize. Uh, way back when uh, Wizards of the Coast, who makes Dungeons & Dragons the game, were coming out with their fourth edition, their fourth iteration of the rules. They invited uh, Scott Kurtz and the two guys behind uh, Penny Arcade to uh, playtest with them and record it and kind of make a, a guerrilla-style podcast out of it. And from that was, I guess, born this kind of D&D brand, not quite connective, but with a lot of connective tissue uh, called... Uh, yeah, absolutely, because of the... It just launched from this innocent, like, rec- like fly-on-the-wall recording of them playing D&D. It launched, like, epicness at PAX, everything. Yeah, so Penny Arcade Expo is kind of like... If this podcast, which begot Acquisitions Incorporated, which is kind of like their D&D group and became this kind of entertainment hour, 
uh, and PAX kind of being the incubator of uh, these fans. You know, all these creators go to Pacific or Penny Arcade Expo. So at the expo, you know, Scott Kurtz meets all these fans that are also fans of his webcomic PvP. And from his character, his dwarf character on the show, he does a guest strip uh, with this character, Val. And it's a big hit for him. And he, you know, a couple months later, he decides this is growing beyond me. It needs to be its own strip. It doesn't, you know, it's grown beyond P- just PvP, which is his main site. And Table Titans is born. So there's kind of like this line of sight from the first recording of Acquisitions Incorporated for Wizards to now this Table Titans book, which has always been being cross-promoted with D&D and Scott Kurtz. It's really this uh, fruitful relationship that they both have, and we're getting Table Titans from it. So to synopsize what Table Titans is about is there's this... uh, this national and this really exists. It's like this national uh, player. Play, I, w- I wouldn't really say communal game. It's not like a, a multi-user dungeon or uh, man. I'm mm. going back to the '80s with yeah. that uh, or some massive you know multiplayer online scenario. It's ba- it's called D and D Encounters, and it exists. You know the um, a campaign that's. Basically, when D&D players go to set a game, it's called a campaign. They're campaigning. Uh, and, you know, everybody in the country or whatever plays this one campaign, and they submit their results, and, you know, uh, meritous awards are given out. And it exists uh, pretty pretty close to in the comics. So this group called the Table Titans, uh, you know, goes and hangs out at this bar every, you know, Wednesday night or whatever, and they play the D&D Encounters campaign. And it's the classic story of you know Val plays the super into it person who who's like the rules lawyer uh you have the guy who's only ever played one class ever uh you have like the Lothario who kind of really likes somebody else in another group but he's kind of a hard head you have the newbie who knows nothing about D&D but is super enthusiastic and this you know this group essentially learns a lot of life lessons about, you know, what the the true meaning of D&D is. And it's just kind of to have fun and, and you know, ex- accepting others for their flaws and who they are. And, you know, simultaneously, there's this very entertaining uh, story going on. This comic story, which is the D&D campaign itself. So it kind of flashes between the real life of these characters and the characters that they're playing uh, during this D&D Encounters campaign. Uh, super hilarious. Not a long read, so it's nothing to get see- you know steeped in. So if you're looking for a very light, comedic read with some great cartooning, I encourage you to pick up Table Titans. Yeah, the... Um, first, the... F- like from the very beginning, he had a format in mind that would translate from because this is a webcomic, you can go on the web, tabletitans.com, start from the beginning and read this exact story that we have in hardcover here that he kickstarted into a you know the first volume to put on your bookshelf. You can go read it. But in the since the very first um post, since the very first uh posting of panels, the 
the formatting was set up to fit into a book like super nicely. He had all that in mind, and I think that was just genius to begin with because now I have this great hardcover. The Kickstarter edition, by the way, is gorgeous, and it, it, it's going to look good on my on my shelf. So just the formatting of that webcomic to translate so well into hardcover was a win before I even get into the story itself, I think. But Scott Kurtz was able to... Like, I, I, I love this book, and I love it for many things. I'll try to, I'm just going to, like, checklist first, and then maybe we could branch out from there if I remember. I, pro- I will probably forget, and we'll go down a, another path once we get talking about it. But I love the fact, for one, that it's like a D&D licensed product. I think that has the ability to, like, immerse you even further into the uh, the D and D product and the D and like if you have a love for D and D, it's going to like it's like reading a book with almost like hidden Easter eggs or something. Like it's so cool that this book is about D and D, but it's really about D and D. It's not about like it's not a webcomic about role, tabletop role playing. It's it's like there are definite references to Dungeons and Dragons in it, the Forgotten Realms, and D and D encounters. So it's like this meta set up when they when the group goes to play D&D encounters which is so which is a cool initiative on the on the part of wizards and D&D to get people to game stores to kind of like get people playing in public and and foster this um this cool community that you might not otherwise be able to find a gaming group to play now as a father you know as fathers of two children a piece. a piece, you know, it's it's kind of tough for us to to make a D and D impossible to 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 find a D and D encounters group and actually attend it at this at this juncture. Maybe when the kids are older, who knows? But let me interrupt you. Do you remember we were so ballsy? We were going to play every six weeks, and we were like, whatever happens, family stuff aside, every six weeks we get together. Man, yeah, it's a, it's a pie it's in a the big sky joke, but. Stuff like this just keeps you kind of engaged with the product that I'm, keeps me engaged with the product that I'm so nostalgic for and I love. And even though I don't get to play it not nearly as often as I would like, something like this like has all of the, I don't know, the tropes, but not in a bad way. But it has all like this emotion because this group who they're known as the Table Titans and they're hard to work with. They basically, nobody wants to be their DM. So they get stuck with this guy who is willing to uh, bend the rules to his liking. liking. And which in D&D there are, I mean, the, the ultimate rule is it's up to you. So in certain instances, um, you know, there's these... Uh, you know, there's the uh, displacer beast that talks, and and one of the players is like, "Wait, that dis- displacer beast talks?" Because they don't normally talk. So he's like butting heads with this the rules lawyer character, who is very obstinate about how his D and D should be played. And this uh, this DM is like there to kind of like expand their memory. Or, or their expand their horizons and give them a different outlook, which in turn like 
ushers you, the reader, into like being more worldwide of this setting of this gameplay. And it's so and it's so cool how he is able to go from this meta group playing D anD D to like transition to the characters that this group is playing and you're with these characters in their campaign setting as the paladin, as the bard, you know, as the wizard. And it's cool to... The transitions are, like, really smooth how it goes from, uh, you know, say I was playing the bard, it goes from my character does this to kind of me becoming the character. And it sounds really, uh, what I'm describing sounds like really cardboard and probably sounds like you're reading stereo instructions, but it (laughs) works. And if you've ever had any taste of role-playing around the tabletop, it works fantastically. Yeah, let me try to carry the baton for you here. Uh, You know, when, when anyone sits around the table the first time, it can be awkward for you to role play, right? Because you're like, oh, you know, you know, I pick up this sword. I, I just sound weird. yeah, like people, and like people, even around the table, they're doing the same thing as you are going to judge you, right? And to translate that into a comic, I think, is genius mm-hmm. because that's what happens here. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, of course, the newbie. Who's probably turns out to be my favorite character, who like just do, you know, jumps in into the deep end of the pool, and is the, the the easiest role playing. And you have all these vets that are afraid to say these things around each other because of, you know, uh, their fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, side note: it took me like twenty minutes to realize that the wizard's name was Drezu. <laughs> All he did was spell wizard backwards. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe it took me so long. I was like, oh, that's an interesting... Oh, wait. Let me look at that for a second. Real uh, quick, what I love about Darby, who plays the wizard as the new guy, is like he doesn't... He's not affected. He's not salty by the fact that like he's been playing D&D for years. And he's like... It's almost like a guy who... Uh, used to love what he does at work, but now he's been at it so long, all he can see is like the bad stuff about it and he doesn't know why he does still does it every week. Or maybe like somebody who uh, joins a club, like the Elks Club or something, and there's like so many, like he's been in it so long, all he can see is the, the drama behind the scenes and stuff. And that's exactly how these other characters are. And they just like, they're spitting fire and they, it almost seems like they would rather not be there. And they describe, like they'll describe an instance where they had to, uh, they had to like begrudgingly participate in this D&D encounter or something. And the new guy's just like, holy crap, you got to do that. And it's so cool to see it through his eyes because he doesn't, he's yeah. not like, he's not burdened by the, uh, the, the curmudgeon attitude. And there's there's definitely certain instances in the story where the characters are like, this can't be done, or this is bad form, or you you can't do, and the newbie just does it because he's there to have yeah, fun. Yeah, and the DM is just like, yeah, that's perfect. I, I like what you're doing there, and I'm going to let you, you know, I'm going to allow that. So I, I guess we got off a little off topic, I forget what I was talking about, but uh, 
by the end oh uh, yeah by the end of the story um the characters definitely unburden themselves of the of this judgmental armor and the tone of the book shifts to where they're all there to have fun and you know kind of like the moral of the story what is D&D about it's how do you tell the best story mm-hmm. versus you know min maxing which i probably just went super nerd using that phrase and it's all about you know at the end of the session or at the end of the day did you have a good time playing versus did you get over on a roll on a rule or something like that yeah and and what this book does is it just lets you the reader enjoy the story but it's also like instructing you on how a good game can be played like you don't you know, know it but it's the best way to kind of get an intro into what a session can be i mean there's really a lot here there for someone who's played the game you kind of get this instructional video this humorous instructional video on how to play but if you've never had any inkling to play D and D, you've never sat around a table or even played tabletop, but you like comics, this is going to hit all the right spots too. Like, I don't think you need to know a single thing about D and D to sit down and have fun reading Table Titans. Yeah, because it's just you're just reading, uh, you know, a a slice of life kind of story where these guys are getting together to play their D and D game. I mean, it's certainly a comic about people role playing. But it's not heavy. It's not weighty. It's not boring. It's just a. It's a great little story, and it's got like enough kind of like the real life kind of drama where that like you really kind of feel for Alan when he's so very confrontational with the uh, the leader of the the other encounters group that end up in the bar. And, like, they start saying these real essy things to each other. And then, like, cut to them in their homes. And they're just, like, full of regret for being so nasty to one of one another. When you know there are, there's obviously a history between them. And, like, they just let life get in the way. And they just... It was kind of deep because, like, they're just kind of full of regret, like... Almost like I didn't have to be so crotchety and nasty to each other because it's not healthy and it's not making the other person feel good. And I think you and I, you know, as a, I, I wasn't really, I was a player when I was a teenager, not for a very long time, but I did play with people who were like super obsessed with one sort of character. And if you tried to change anything, it was no, no, no. And people like, they, invest emotionally in this stuff more than I think I don't want to say regular people because it sounds like I'm mm-hmm. I'm talking down about it and that's not what I'm trying to do but there are definitely tons of people that invest in this so hard that they can't separate from having a good time mm-hmm. and having what they perceive is the right thing for them whether it be playing I don't know, Dale or Dwarven Cleric all the time mm-hmm. or Dwarven Fighter. There's dwarves. You know, you know, but... um, And that's, again, portrayed here in the book very well. And, you know, maybe the book's even telling you, hey, it's okay to let it yeah. go. You can play 
somebody else one time. You know, it'll be all right. And that's how it starts out when Brendan, the dungeon master, hands them their character sheets. These are like, these are the characters I made and you guys are going to play them. And if that's not the way you're going to do it, then I'm not going to be your DM and nobody else wants to be your DM. But Brendan had the, like, the foresight to see if I'm going to get these guys out of their shell and kind of like loosen them up a little bit, I need to break them out of their comfort zone. So Val, who loves playing the Dwarven Warrior, gets to be the Bard. Alan gets to be a Paladin, which, you know, he's used to like a sneaky thief kind of role. And the uh, the rules lawyer guy, I forget his name, but he ends up being like the halfling thief, which he's definitely not used to. And it's just like it adds this layer of, of storytelling and humor because the characters are, well, that's that's kind of double-edged in this because like, there's characters and then there's characters playing the characters. But the people playing D&D are definitely put off by the fact that they have to play these other characters. So there's this level of storytelling there. But then once they get into playing these character classes, it's really cool to see them kind of like get comfortable with their new role in the party. And it, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, it works because the like it goes back to the meta and the transitioning between them being in a bar and them being in character. It's almost like in The Princess Bride when the grandfather's reading to Fred Savage. That's part, that's the movie, but then there's the story within the movie, which is about the princess we bride. Just got, we just got everybody back. Pull them back you. in. As soon as you say Princess Bride, people just woke up, you know, turned on the show right to 26 minutes. I had in. a... Uh, I had a little post-it on the corner of my monitor. It said Princess Bride with an underline. And it's, <laughs> it's been staring me in the face for 27 minutes, so I had to bring it back in that way. <laughs> uh, you know, that, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for humor with what you just said. And one that comes to mind is you're the cleric character, so used to playing, you know, I guess not evil, but these kind of morally gray characters. So... You know, he he. They get surrounded by these things called. I think it's a blink dog yeah. or something like that. It's a creature, and uh, he's like, "Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna bag them and we're gonna, you know, sell them and do this." And the DM's like, "Actually, you're lawfully good," which is a condition. Yeah, you know, there's these um, conditions in in D and D alignments. Yeah. They're called where you have to like, even though you can decide to do whatever you want, you should make decisions along these alignments or there, you know, there could be consequences or, you know, it's, it's the play of the story in a certain type of way. So immediately he's called to the carpet for not being a bad character. So like immediately it cuts to him making a totally different decision yeah. for the group. But, but it's cool because he's, it's he's stuck to his guns and he's stuck to the lawful good nature of the character and he role played it to a T. I mean, it's like, it may be inconvenient for the party, but that's what his that's what he would do as that character which is cool the only thing i felt a little bad about and i had completely forgot i mean it's been since i was a teenager since i remember like thumbing through the monster manual and remembering like blink dogs were lawful good but for this campaign setting like the dm kind of like shifted things around and made kind of his own rules but the party ended up like killing a few before one of them eventually like befriends them and stuff, and it kind of like hurt a little bit. But 
that's you know that's what happens. It's just just web comic. Just yeah. you, Dale, you sound super emotional. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like that broke it. Like this cute little blink dog. Just me, like, just no. me saying it, re- like regurgitating <laughs> information. I was like, oh man, I, I remembered again that the blink dogs were lawful good. Saw, and I would, I would have completely had still forgotten about it until one of the characters is like, aren't the aren't blink dogs lawful good? I'm like, oh man. I saw in your eyes that uh, you had a crack in the armor. <laughs> When that happened, um, so I mean, what what else can can we say about this book? And then it's just so good. I think. Uh, I, what do I want to say? I think if there was ever a spiritual successor to Acquisitions Incorporated, if you're a fan, Table Titans is definitely it. And uh, so I'll speak to the D and D fans real quick. So, you know, if you're not, you know, fast forward two minutes if you don't want to hear this. But, you know, we don't get Acquisitions Incorporated anymore. Not really. Three times a year when they do a game of packs, if if they do and it. It's an hour and a half long or something. Right. So there was a while when you could listen to a backlog of, you know, AI and get like 30 hours of D&D podcasting that was fun to listen to. Because, listen, I tried them all. And they're not all that great. And this one, is, you know, was particularly good. Yeah. So it kind of All the other like, D&D podcasts, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it feels like I'm getting more of a... It's like I'm getting the second X-Files. It's like I feel like I'm getting more of something that I didn't think I was going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, definitely the the... Whatever is left in the Acquisitions Incorporated bank, they're cashing out in Table Titan. So, like, I feel like I'm getting a good deal mm-hmm. when I'm reading this. So, it's I feel very good. Not not only because it's a good product, but it's like it hits the sweet spot. It scratches that itch for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, I mean, I love when D and D puts out their comics like through IDW. It's very much a, a more serious take on the books. They're um, they're 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 character stories. They're you know you're you're following a band of adventurers on you know on a party. I think the uh, the Jim Zub one is either on a break, it's coming back soon, or it's relaunching. But this felt even more. I don't know. I loved it more because it was more it's going to sound bad, but it was more blatantly D&D because of the uh the the use of D&D terms and the fact that you you're like reading about a party role playing as opposed to like following you know the the um what what was what was the really good volume the Shadow Plague Shadow Plague. Oh, that, that, was, that was volume one. Shadow yeah, Plague was the, I thought the best Yeah, that one. was really good. But that that was more like, you're just reading like a fantasy story. Like it's not, it's not like tongue in cheek, like, oh, there's a displacer beast or there's blink dogs that are lawful good. Like there's more kind of like terminology dropped in Table Titans that makes you feel like you're uh, closer to the D&D product, which is really, really cool. And you don't get that in the regular D&D comics, but, you know, I, I still love the D&D comics, but... <clears throat> you know what I think it is? It's, you know, I, for one, 
uh, as a D&D player and, and as a GM, whenever I did GM or DM, whatever you want to call it, I preferred kind of the like the happier-go-lucky style of play where it didn't have to be super serious and, you know, funny things could happen. And I think Table Titans embodies that that's that style of play that, you know, goofy things can happen in this, you know, what you've created is a serious setting. You know, a, a town is being attacked. What are you going to do? But goofy things can happen. And that's the thing. You're, you're getting not all D&D groups get together. And I feel like the stigma is you get together to play this super serious thing where, you know, you're, you totally go outside yourself for hours at a time portraying something that isn't real and I think you know for me and you especially it's more about getting together and kind of enjoying something we both like and yucking it up and also Mm -hmm. kind of playing the rules of a game so and I think Table Titans embodies that type of play which is maybe why I connect with it so well yeah it's uh you you I think you ought to check it out if you had any interest in D&D or, or just want to read a fun, quick, just comic. I mean, you like I said, you can go to tabletitans.com. You can read it all there. You can order the first um, trade paperback from there or Amazon or probably your game store at this point. It was probably in Diamond um, if it's on mm-hmm. Amazon. So, yeah, like check it out. Read it on Table Titans and then buy it because if you buy the volumes buy things you're definitely encouraging more volumes to be printed which i would love i mean i would i am immediately looking for a volume two because this first story ends and then uh you know the the last third of the hardcover is the origin stories of the of the players playing in table titans and that was that took place in player versus player and it's really neat back matter about uh, uh scott kurtz's uh you know jots down some notes about how you know these characters kind of took off and they really deserve their own thing from player versus player and that's really cool back matter but I was definitely in the mood to read more table titans when I finished and I'm probably going to go to the website and finish but I will definitely be supporting them as soon as they hopefully soon release more volumes of the book yeah I think the I I think the story only clocks in at about 60 pages the first volume story. Yeah. Uh, Because you got to figure it's a webcomic first, so there wasn't going to be 150 pages of content. Nobody's writing for the trade here. But I think 60 pages was the right length for the story. I think if it Mm -hmm. had gone on any longer, it wouldn't have made sense pacing-wise. So there was another 20 or 30 pages after that of really great back matter, as you said, and then it was you know maybe uh, a half a page of comic strips you know, like the introduction of Val, and then some very smart blurbs from Scott Kurtz, like, hey, this is, you know, I was worried, was I going to alienate PvP fans by always having these characters show up, but there was such a strong fan reaction, you know, I could not have them, and, you know, the impetus of Table Titans becoming a book, and then his, you know, as the Kickstarter grew, so it's a lot of great... um and I, you know, now I'm sitting here wondering. I wonder how much of that was lifted from the Kickstarter backer newsletter. I even think should I go back and compare? Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, and it was a long, it was a long. I think two years this Kickstarter has been going on e- easily over a year without a doubt. 
Yeah, it was it was but over now, a year, definitely. N- now that I have the finished product, I mean, it, it's worth it. The quality is is super great. It reminds me of you know Shadow Plague. The <laughs> Dale got me the Shadow Plague uh, hardcover for a birthday, I think, and it's got this. You know, it's got great. Uh, not only hard cover itself, the back and front hardcover, but it's also it feels like I'm reading a D and D manual with the heavy laminate pages and the great spine. Like it would, it could go next to my, you know, Neverwinter Nights. Yeah, yeah. Campaign setting on the show. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything in that fourth edition, because Shadow Plague almost launched, coinciding with the launch of fourth edition, uh, or maybe a little after, but. Every one of those, this is like, we're off Table Titans at this point, but everything from that 4E campaign setting was just like, it was great. The uh, Shadow Plague and the hardcovers after, I think there's three hardcover in total of the comics, but everything just matched. The spines matched, of the uh, that matched the player's handbook, that matched the Neverwinter campaign setting, or, or, I mean, I have a ton. I would just... I was an addict for a while. I would text you pictures of everything I bought, but I, on eBay, I would just it, like buy two or three hardcovers at a time because they would people would sell them in bundles, and those comics look fantastic, like lined up against everything else. Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't get rid of any of the stuff I bought. I remember we were getting ready. Maybe this is fireside stuff, but we were getting to play our forty sash. Dale and I, and we decided Dale was going to be the DM. And for some reason, that gave me free license. I think I bought like seven, like I bought campaign settings, monster manual, treasure guide. And I'm like, I'm not, what am I doing? But I was like, every time I saw it on eBay, I was like, that's a good price. So I got to have it. I mean, that's cheap for a hardcover, especially compared to the regular price of the hardcovers. For anything in the teens of dollars is a a steal. Yeah. Crazy prices on Amazon too. Like, uh, like it would be sealed seventeen ninety nine, and I'd be like, "Well, I can't not one click buy it." All right? It's forty for at it's forty dollars normally at least. Yeah. What are you guys thinking? And they had they were thinking exactly that some bozo like me, all right, was, was going to buy all these. Anything else will so, uh, save for the fireside. I'm going to look for the sounders here. For Slim uh, randomly responds on Twitter from Paris, France taking time out of his romantic trip uh you know what i mean oh i know what you mean just uh you know in the bourgeois as uh they say in la francais the airbnb bourgeois uh, the <laughs> you know i that i we i imagine the scenario letters. i'm gonna open them up Farrington's gonna read them to you, to you. Letters at paperkeg.com. You write us a letter, we will read it on the air. We love your letters, so please write us. Dale, our first letter is a rare treat, and I've said it possibly six to eight times. Uh, I love listener lightning rounds, and we got one. Nice. Uh, the Max, Volume 1, by Sam Keith and William Mesner Lobes. Uh, a darker psychological take on the superhero genre from the early days of Image. Great art and a unique duo of protagonists. But the meandering storyline felt a bit flat. 
at top five bananas. Uh, you know, top five. I remember the Max being one of those early adopted MTV uh, oh, cartoons, yeah. and I also remember the Max being like too much Coffee Man, and the fact that the volumes I ever, you know, the, the only volumes I saw were like the ones that were like stapled together in somebody's basement and like sold at the deli and maybe the tip jar was on the deli like on that stack uh, so getting, like you don't have you're like crazy right now Jonesy. you're you're, you're getting you're, crazy you're, meta is what yeah, i'm doing you're getting crazy uh, but i now that i'm much older and have a, a a much more broader definition of what i think a comic should be and uh, i can't wait to dive back in if there's some beautiful like he, the color of his costume just lends itself to some beautiful paper stock mm. and some crazy deep emerald coloring. I can't, you know, I think I'm going to seek the max out. Yeah, we should try to do that as a show because I, I remember, I remember more so the cartoon, if that's what you want to call it on MTV, and the covers. Like, I remember flipping through the pages of Max. Yes, the Max, but like, yeah, I, that comic is right up there for me with like the the covers of Sandman. Like it is heady stuff that I would never ever be able to understand. Like even the cartoon on MTV, I'd be curious to go back and check it out and see if I could still if I could understand it any more than I could then cuz it looked like the Max was such a cool looking character, but that's it. It's funny you say Sandman. I I read Sandman for this show. And still can't tell you if I liked it or not. Like it's it went right out of my cerebrum. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. I think I did. Ended up, I think I ended up Sand- liking it. Volume two, probably more than volume Sandman one. Sandman was great. It's just the covers. I'll never be able to like agree that the covers were anything I, other than think, like make you think kind of stuff. I think my only gripe was that it was pretty much Neil Gaiman, Marty Stewing the entire DCU. <laughs> Because, like, isn't, if I remember, Sandman is pretty much Neil Gaiman, like, physically, his physical attributes. Yeah. I don't mean to upset Man. any Sandman like, fans. It was a good book, I'm just saying. There's probably some Paper Cake listeners fresh off of listening to those two episodes in a row, and you have just went back on everything that you ever, oh, yeah. ever proposed. I just, whoop, I just whoopee cushioned the lifeblood out of them. Uh, next letter. Uh, writes for that Tom Cruise podcast. Do we do letters on that show? Uh, we can. Yeah, let's save that. Let's let's save that one from a legacy friend of the show here. Uh, our next writer. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little giddy mm-hmm. whenever we get communication from this next friend of the show. Yeah, me too. You know, he writes this little known, super popular book called Revenger. You know, we did uh, his book, The End of the Effing World, on a previous episode. Uh, he is pretty much probably my best friend that he doesn't even know it, but, like, we're super tight in my own mind. Not a crazy stalker scenario. Just like you're best friends with Chris Omni, mm-hmm. I'm best friends with uh, Charles Forsman. He writes to us, uh, Dale and Jonesy, good job on keeping the PK train moving while Slim and the Mini eat cheese <laughs> and baguettes under the Eiffel Tower laughing at the little people. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I don't really have a reason to write other than I haven't written in a while. 
Don't want you guys to think I'm not listening. PK is always a highlight of my week. Uh, as well as your other fantastic shows like that Cruise Missile Appreciation Hour. <laughs> Why we didn't call it Cruise Missile, I will be kicking myself forever. Uh, if uh, if Charles Forsman was in Baltimore with us two years ago, we could have totally landed that show name. Uh, cruise Missile. Damn. Do you ever just sit around thinking about Tom's teeth? I do. Excuse me. Uh, actually, I do have. Su- actually, I do have a suggestion for the show. Now we all know your history with reading the first books of Savage Dragon, but I recently have dug out my old dragons and have begun reading from the beginning. I've also read the first, uh, the fir- uh, the five most recent five issues that have come out. I think you guys really need to dip your All right, toes Charles, back we'll see you later. Good night. Waters. Good night, Charles. <laughs> uh, Okanosis. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dragon is a really good book. It's a crazy world with the ridiculous characters that age in real time. The trouble is that it's the kind of book that I feel like doesn't have a really good run to point to where uh, you would read it and fall in love. It's more of a cumulative effect. Almost like an old-fashioned newspaper strip like Gasoline Alley, where you live with these characters for years and watch them grow, and Larson is having a blast. I think that comes through such passion. Okay, off to listen to more Savage Fincast episodes until the next PK. Uh, love you guys. Stay cool. At Charles Forsman. Uh, you know, I, t- I totally take back that best friendship, Charles, because... Savage Dragon is not something that I even remotely want to dip my pudgy little Irish toes into. Uh, just kidding. We're still best friends, and we'll read it whenever you want. Yeah, if, honestly, if there's anybody, he made it ma- make he made it sound like a crazy person wasn't trying to sell me on Savage Dragon, which is a first. That's that yes. And if anybody is is would make me reconsider reading it. It was that cell right there because he, st- Chuck, you stayed grounded enough like you were talking to somebody who who was still apprehensive about going back there. You know what I mean? But usually when you you just like you got to shut down a conversation with like a, a dragon fan because they're so like they're swinging from the rafters. They don't they wouldn't let you get a word in like. <laughs> It's like they're trying to explain something with such like, pa- like passion in their voice, their trembling voice, that you almost don't. You want to buy it even less. You want to read it even less out of spite. You just sold it, Charles Forsman. I'm going to tell you that right now. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, he's very articulate. He gave it the hard sell you know? by not giving it the hard sell. He totally pussyfooted around it and, and you know led us to water. Yeah. And is gonna watch us drink. Uh, you know, it's funny what you say about Savage Dragon fans. It always reminds me of like they're the dad and I'm the toddler, and they're trying to explain to me a simple task, and I just don't get it because <laughs> they just repeat it louder. Yeah, like, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I don't know. I'm really not just interested. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> it's about a dragon man. Uh, well. You know, I don't really know what you mean. A dragon, man. Right. You know, it's just yeah. forever and ever. Amen. So, yeah, thank you. And thank you for writing us a letter, Charles. We uh, 
we really appreciate that because you know it's just Jonesy and I. We're just trying to pad the time, and you you gave enough yeah. of a crap to know that you would uh, write us a letter, and we thank you for it from the bottom of our hearts. Just less of my innocuous inane comments to have to put up with every word you write, Charles. Jonesy, if I'm not mistaken, unless one came in super hot, that was the last letter. Uh, let me go back uh, to the Dragon Fro filter and see if anything came in hot. Uh, no, we're that's it. It's uh, we've we've done another forty nine minutes, Dale. Just the two of us building castles in the sky. All right, that was Paper Keg two hundred and thirty six for the Table Titans episode. Oh. Jonesy, uh, thank you for uh, going on this journey with me, Slim. We still can't do it without you, so don't get any ideas. I'll see you next week. He's probably he's probably already hung it up. Yeah. He's already talking to Mindy about what they're going to do with their Tuesday nights. We have yet uh, we have yet to discuss what the next book club is with Slim. Uh, when we know, you will know the night. Meaning, the night we go to record it, I will make a show post, and you will know. Just a great comic, Table Titans. So, Dale, speaking, you know, it's funny we mentioned Sandman. Uh, I tried watching the first two episodes of uh, DC Vertigo's Lucifer. I forget what networks it's on. Maybe. uh, I believe that's Fox. Is it Fox? It has to be Fox because X Files comes on before it. Um, Which, brilliant, stroke of brilliance. having X-Files your lead-in audience uh, for this show because that's how I got roped into watching it. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I don't, it, it, it's, uh, so the premise of the show is uh, the devil, Lucifer, you know, is in hell. And uh, he decides, or in H, excuse me, and he <laughs> decides he's, uh, you know, uh, for the audience, we know he's tired of it. He's done. He wants to... Uh, uh, live in the mortal realm and uh, he's drawn in to be a foil for this detective who's like this uh, ex-Hollywood starlet takes place in uh, Los Angeles so Lucifer and uh, I forget her name Chloe I might be Chloe um, are this detective consultant detective team you know, each week they're going to have a new case to go investigate. And, uh, you know, the long thread of the show is uh, Lucifer is supposed to be in hell and he's not allowed to leave. And other angels are upset by the fact that he's not there. And 
I think presumably hell is closed for business while he's not there. So the you know the souls of people that die and go to hell are getting into heaven. I think. Oh, wow. So I I think that's the big. You know the 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 actual danger that Lucifer will be put the peril he'll be put on at some point. Um, but I don't know if it's me and I'm just burnt out on straight man plus you know, detective with something, you know, Sherlock Holmes is, you know, this, uh, crazy, you know, I mean, neurotic, crazy person, you know, and you have straight man detective, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's just, I don't know if that, I'm just burned out on that scenario, uh, because I feel like it's everywhere. Like the show psych was like that. And, uh, what that was actually a great show. And, uh, there's a bunch of shows where, What's the other one? Monk. Where, you know, they're, they're just, uh, I can't even talk. This brilliant person or have this this extra sense of this power paired with, mm -hmm. you know, the goods. Hercules, the legendary you know, the journeys. Candy. Hercules, legendary journeys. Castle. Mm -hmm. uh, Xena, warrior princess, if we're going down that route. And maybe it's just, maybe I don't, you know, I, I was looking for something different. There's no room at the end. Yeah, but uh, I think the guy who plays Lucifer is perfect. And I think he's going to draw a lot of people to the show because he can play it pretty straight. You know what I mean? He's got whatever the goods are, he's got, he's got the goods. He's got the okay. goods. So, I don't know. I think I'm going to watch episode three. But I, don't, I think if it doesn't tickle me by the end of episode three, I'm going to have mm. to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Spend my 42 minutes alone from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. with my son <laughs> watching something else while I struggle to get him back to sleep. Right, you sit with him like you're sitting up in bed with him between your legs. Yeah. Maybe that's why I don't like it because like whenever I'm watching it, I'm like shaking, I was said shaking, they're going to call the cops, <laughs> but like gently rocking this three-month-year-old as I walk back and forth from like the kitchen to the right. living room. It's just saying la la something on <laughs> la la. The only thing that calms it down la la. Is it the only thing that calms him down? <laughs> yeah, that's like his trigger. Now my my three year old, I had to sing the song from um, the Hangover, the What Two Tigers Dream of When They Take It. Away. I had to sing it, and it would just be this weird calming effect. And as soon as I would sing it, he would just like stop crying, and, like close his eyes, and like. <laughs> tilt his head like he's about to sleep this one i had just have to sing la la and it can't be any vari variation of that because i try to be like la 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 he would freak out uh, or i'd be like try to be like i dream a genie like la 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 and he would just he would not it has to be la 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 like that's it. oh man and repeat it umpteen billion times i want what were we even talking about? I, I wonder know. if you should try. I remember specifically how drag out tired we both were when uh, we got together with our wives to go see the first Hobbit in theaters because uh, Reed was like three months old at the time and Jack maybe was a month and a half old. And it was like exhausting to oh, be. <laughs> but we got to go out to the theater to watch the Hobbit. But then after that, uh, Thor and Oakenshield singing the Misty Mountains. Oh, that worked. That yeah, worked that worked for, for Jack. Jack for a long time. He would uh, 
He, after that, he started having fits at bedtime. Like he couldn't be rocked. He didn't want to, you know. Uh, and of course, we were new parents, so like we didn't know that you should just leave him in the crib and walk out. Yeah. We we're like, no, it has to, we have to rock him at this angle <laughs> and uh, with this amount of light coming through this door. And that's the only thing that works. And uh, yeah, so we played Misty Mountain, the dwarf saying Misty, uh, Misty Mountains. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was the trick. It would get him calmed down. It was all the hum. Yeah. Unfortunately, the song is only a minute and 20 seconds long. You would hope that yeah, like so Junkie XL you just put released that a boy, remix. Right? You just thumbed your iPod on shuffle and repeat. Yeah. And I would just close my eyes with him and just be like, we're both going to sleep in this position. And I just, I gave up my nightlife for months. Then I read, not that this is a, not that this isn't the flap, but I, I was just thinking the other day, we're about, uh, Katie and I were just talking about the first time we decided we, we needed to sleep. And Jack might have been six, seven months old. And, you know, he still doesn't sleep through the night, but we were like, we can't do this anymore. Like, we have to try to sleep. We have to try to be in the same room together. So we put him in his crib and we laid him down. And he just, he just, for like 40 minutes, <laughs> just like, and we would, like at different points we were both break and she'd be like I'm going in and I'm like no you know, grab <laughs> right, a wrist yeah, like, yeah. no you stay he's fine he's dry he doesn't need anything he just ate we're just you know we and and then like 10 minutes later be like alright I can't do as a father she's like no <laughs> right, right, right. we both agreed and then finally it it stopped and I just remember that sense of dread like you're just like we're the worst parents ever we let our child yeah. sue themselves. Yeah, yeah. What have we done? Because he's going to wake up and remember and be disappointed in you. And hate yeah. it. Yeah. Abs- and yep. hate it. Like, we're going to be talking about this in therapy in yep. 20 years. I, oh, yeah. And then after that, he was fine. You could put him down and walk away. He would go right to sleep. Owen does that already. And if, in fact, I think he prefers it at some points just for you to leave him alone. That's the way Reed was, too. I mean, and and and... Also, it got to that point because Reed was so exhausting that he wouldn't let you tried to hold him and he would just he was physically exhausting to hold because he would squirm and cry. And and so we eventually just got sick and tired of it. And we just like started dropping him off in his crib and leaving. And we never did that with Grayson. But that's also probably how we should have handled Grayson, too. But to this day, we can leave Reed. We could just kiss him on the forehead, say goodnight. And he's fine in there. Like it's 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 crazy. You know what Owen's trigger is before like we know that he wants to be left alone? Like he'll interact with you, but when he's ready to go down, he will not look you in the eyes. Like you will look at him and he will look away. <laughs> and so like and then so I what I try to do is I try to move my face to try to get him to interact with me and he gets mad. <laughs> Almost like he's saying, like, no, I'm I've had enough. Right. I'm done. You, I said a goo with you like 40 times in a row. Uh, please put me in my crib. Give me my favorite binky and please never come back. 